0: You're listening to the Fresh Takes on Tech Podcast, a show from the International Fresh Produce Association. This is a show for people interested in the intersection between technology and the produce and floral industries. Every week we explore the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the industry. If you are interested in the innovations that create change, this is the place for you. Let's dive in. Hello,
1: this is Bonnie Estes, your host to Fresh Takes on Tech. Today, we are talking to Russ Hamlin, General Manager of Farming at Grimway Farms. Headquartered in Bakersfield, California, Grimway started as a produce stand in Southern California by the Grimm Brothers in the early 1960s. Grimway is now a global produce leader and the world's largest producer of carrots. Russ, welcome to the show, and let's jump right in. Tell us about your role at Grimway.
2: Well, I'm the general manager of farming at Grimway and am responsible for all farming activities nationwide, both conventional and organic. It's a big job. I manage the teams of people who actually get the work done in the field. But my primary role is enabling and equipping our farm team to do their very best work. Their job is to grow the best produce in the world. And my job is to knock down the barriers that stand in their way. And I'll tell you, I love farming and playing in the dirt. But I love going to work because I get to manage and learn from the best farming team on the planet.
1: Excellent. In this season of the podcast, I'm exploring the various methods of production. I'm looking at conventional, organic, indoor, regenerative, climate smart. And I'm trying to help me and our listeners understand the differences. This The whole idea of this season kind of came out of me thinking about these different ways of growing and, and as a consumer and also as someone in the industry, like what do these different things mean and who's doing what? And so I really wanted to talk to you and your role at Grimway to really get a sense of how you look at it and how you think about it. So you grow both organic and conventional, right?
2: Yes, that's right. We grow conventional carrots with the cooperation of outside growers and we grow organic vegetables, which are all farmed in-house.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the kind of where your farms are, these farms that you manage, the locations, and then the number of certified organic acres that you have?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll give you some idea of the scope. Even as an employee of Grimway, it's hard to get your head around. Um, But Grimway is the largest carrot producer in the world. Last year for our ESG report, we wanted to give some idea of the scope and how many carrots that we deal with. We determined that if you took the amount of carrots that we produced in a year and put them end-to-end, they would circle the globe 123 times. Those carrots would stretch to the moon and back six times. We produce every conceivable type of carrot product, whether it's baby cut carrots, large cello carrots, carrot sticks, shreds, coins—you name it. We are a major provider of carrots for the American consumer. Grimway is also the largest organic vegetable producer in the United States. We grow over—we over, grow over 60 different vegetables on 53,000 organic certified acres. And those acres are spread across six states. The vast majority of our produce is grown in the state of California, but we also grow in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Nevada, and Florida. We're a very large company that farms like a small company because of the number of different products that we offer and the need to provide those year round We have over 6,000 different plantings each year and we manage them all individually. So Grimway is one of the most complex and diversified farming operations in the United States. But through the years, the company's figured out how to make it work. And it is absolutely amazing to see what our farming team is able to accomplish.
1: That's incredible. I didn't know that you guys were that big. That's an amazing amount of acres that you manage, you know, that's great. So when did you start growing organic? I mean, I assume obviously in in the sixties, when the company's first company first started, you weren't growing organic. So when did that, when did that transition happen? And was it all at once? or you, you know, slowly built up your acreage?
2: Yeah, so Grimway started off with 160 acres of organic carrots in 1995, and it didn't go well. So, you know, there were a lot of challenges that the company had in the beginning. Grimway faced all of the same challenges and had the same learning curve as any farmer today who is interested in trying to do organic for the first. Probably the biggest hurdles were figuring out how to successfully transition land from conventional to organic but then also trying to figure out how to use crop rotations properly. During the three-year land transition, for example, from conventional to organic, every farmer wants to grow a cash crop. They just don't want to lack the income for three years to let the land lay out or cover crop or not grow something for money. We tried growing carrots during the transition period, and it was a disaster. (laughs) it takes three years for the soil systems to transform to the point where they can grow uh, good organic crops. And if you rush the process, you prolong the problem. So we soon learned that conventional soils that we were transitioning were quite, quite sterile, and that adding compost and the use of cover crops brought those soils to life. At first, we knew that we wanted a three-year rotation but we didn't have any other organic crops other than carrots to rotate with so we rotated with fallow land we made a little money on the carrot crop but the problem is that the fallow land still had to be taken care of it had to be weeded and those sorts of things and so we would give back whatever money was made with the carrot crop yield wasn't great but we did make a little money but in 1998 Grimway teamed up with ReadyPack, who wanted us to grow organic spring mix. And then we also decided to grow other crops like garlic and potatoes and tomatoes. And once we incorporated those different crops into our organic rotation, that's when we saw the market increase in carrot yield, and the other crops did well, too. And so a few years of success led Grimway to decide to buy Callow. O. Cal o. at that time was growing 30 additional crop items and had 4,000 additional acres, and so our rotations and land options became even better. But throughout our history, we have always battled weeds and organic crops, and any organic farmer will tell you that. We have always had to learn more about organic fertilizers and compost and soil amendments and how those products break down and release nutrients. But in short, Everything was a challenge in the beginning, and organic farming is not easy today.
1: I understand those challenges at the beginning of, especially those first three years where you're trying to transition, but what about the ongoing challenges? Is it around, still continue to be around weeding and around some of the fertilization? Are there different ongoing challenges?
2: Absolutely. I would say that the three biggest challenges are labor, weeds, and water. For labor is the biggest ongoing challenge in agriculture today, in my opinion. The majority of our organic produce is hand harvested. When we have weed issues in the field, they are pulled by hand. And so there's a lot of hand labor involved in the production of organic vegetables. And the labor availability continues to be a challenge every year for most farmers. I mentioned weeds before. Just a tremendous challenge in organic farming. We have some weeds that produce 250,000 viable seed per plant. And so even if you get rid of, yeah, even if you get rid of 95% of them, you still have a problem. And because weeds are pulled by hand, our weeding issues and our labor issues are connected. I think that, you know, everyone in the country has heard about the water issues in California, and it's a big deal. One of our biggest ongoing challenges in all of our farming operations has been water availability in California. This year, we had to reduce crop acres in certain regions because there just was not enough water uh, to grow the crop. And in other areas, the cost of the water was so high that you couldn't justify the expense. One of the main reasons uh, we grow in other states is to spread the risk associated with water supply and expense. And so, yes, we have ongoing issues. The main three are labor, weeds, and water.
1: So does the breakdown in acreage of organic stay about the same over time? Are you continuing to grow more organic to meet the market, or do you kind of keep it the same, especially with that three-year transition period? You can't just decide one day to start growing more organic acres.
2: Right. We... Um We are continuing to transition organic land every year, and that is something that we constantly do. If you look at our conventional acres over the past 20 years, they have slowly but steadily decreased over time. In contrast, our organic acreage has increased sharply ever since the purchase of Cal O in 2001. Grimway believes that organic is our future. And we are continuing to transition land and to expand and grow this category every year.
1: So, as an agronomist, what differences do you see in the soil? You talked a little bit about how the soils, when you first start transitioning, are fairly sterile. But what differences do you see in the soil and other production metrics in acreage that's been inorganic for a while? What, what differences are you seeing?
2: That's a good question. I look at lots and lots of soil reports and and visit fields a lot. There's a definite difference in soil organic matter content, which normally runs about a percent or so higher in the older organic soils. Soil tilt or the general condition of the soil that promotes plant growth is also better. The soil just has a better feel. It has better aggregation. And that better aggregation improves soil aeration and water infiltration. You know, there there are differences in soil fertility, but I believe that most of those differences are mostly related to the differences in the kind of fertilizers that are used between conventional and organic systems. A lot of times, soil potassium and micronutrient levels can be higher in the organic soils. So there are some of those differences. But interestingly enough, one of the most important metrics is yield. In young, recently transitioned organic fields, the yield is often lower than conventional systems. But in older organic systems, we find that the yield is equal to or higher than the same crops grown in conventional systems. And it is an wow. eye-opening metric.
1: So what what attributes to that?
2: I think that the greater soil tilth, organic matter, The fact that the soil is balanced in terms of its biology, all of those things, all of those systems working together just really promote plant growth. And and you can see the difference. You know, one of the big challenges in organic farming is holding on long enough to see the soil actually transition so that you see those benefits.
1: Well, you just busted a huge myth because I've just been under this, and I've actually heard this from a number of sources that organic uh, acreage yields 26% less than non-organic conventionally farmed acreage, but you have to, that may be one of those zombie statistics that you don't really know where that came from. And what does that mean? And it sounds like, you know, it's just not true. It may be true in
2: some places, but not at Grimway Farms.
1: Wow. That is really amazing. Do you see anything else around pest? And just because you can't use all the the different crop protection products that you can use in conventional, do you lose more to pest or do you see changes in susceptibility to insects and fungi?
2: Yeah. So that's a really good question. It is a reality in organic farming that you're going to lose a field or, you know, a section of a field from time to time because of Pest issues that overwhelm the system. That happens. You know, we have an incredible integrated pest management system in organic farming. We depend on beneficial insects and other things like that in order to come in and take care of the bad insects. So, the general thing that you're looking for is the beneficial insects to come in. They eat the bad insects and then they're gone by the time that you harvest, but sometimes the beneficial insects don't get the memo and the the timing's not exactly what you would, would need. And so we do have rejections. I think that there is more inherent of having rejected produce in organic systems just because you don't have the broad spectrum fungicides and insecticides that are available in conventional farming. Yet, yet... The organic farmer and their produce is held to the same standard, which is perfection. And so it is a tall order, and it is something that we work at every day.
1: A a lot of what happens in organic is based on organic standards that are set by the USDA and requirements. And so if you were king of the USDA, what would you change about the organic standards that would make it easier for you as a producer?
2: Uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge I'm not the king of the USDA. And I'm not sure. <laughs> nor do would, you
1: want to be. <laughs>
2: nor do I think that I would want the job if it were available. <laughs> Secondly, I just want to make it clear that I think the USDA does a really good job of managing the National Organic Program and working to provide and enforce organic standards. I don't think that there is really anything significant that I would change about the standards. They're all in place for a reason. You know, some people suggest that maybe the three-year transition period should be reduced, but I personally believe that the three years are necessary in order for the soil to achieve the right balance to produce organic crops. In addition, there are some issues with materials that may have been applied prior to transitioning that land. Some conventional herbicides, for example, have a 12- or 18-month plant-back restriction So the time is needed to make sure that the residues from previous conventional products are not an issue. The one thing that I may change is the way that the NOP looks at synthetic products. In their guidance, there is a document called NOP 5033-1, and it gives guidance for determining whether a material is synthetic or non-synthetic. And generally in organic agriculture, Synthetic materials are not allowed unless certain criteria are met. And just to be clear, something that's synthetic is said to have undergone a chemical change and been converted from one thing to another. NOP 5033-1 suggests that if the chemical change is created by a naturally occurring biological process, it can be considered natural and non-synthetic as far as organic agriculture is concerned. But if the chemical change is created by a non-biological process, like using another chemical, then the material should be considered synthetic and not used. I believe that if you can take an organic certified chemical and elicit a change in another organic certified material, it should be allowed, regardless of whether It was through a biological process or a chemical process. Mother Nature changes and innovates all the time. She uses naturally occurring chemicals and biological organisms to change things from one chemical composition to another. And I think that we should be allowed to do the same in organics. And I think that you would have to take great caution in the way that you allowed that. But the reason why that is important is because that would allow for innovation in organic agriculture. And that's something that is very important.
1: Yeah, that's what I've heard from a number of people is just, we really do need to continue to be able to bring new technologies into organic production that maybe weren't imagined when the standards were written. And so I think just keeping that dialogue open. Are there any other technologies that you wish you could use or new technologies to consider?
2: Uh, sure. I wish organic growers could choose to use soluble nitrogen products to a limited degree permanently. The vast majority of organic fertilizers are plant or animal-based, and they have to break down in order to release nutrients. And this is how it should be. Those fertilizers should form the basis of fertility programs and organic farming. The problem with a fertilizer that has to break down and release nutrients is that it doesn't always get the memo either. Uh, Sometimes it does not break down and release nutrients fast enough or in the right time period to sustain crop growth and to provide the quality that is required for organic produce. It is a big issue with organic vegetable farmers. No one wants to buy yellow spinach. I don't care if it's organic. Organic produce is held to the same standard of perfection as conventional produce. And so any shortage of nitrogen can cause a quality problem. Organic produce farmers need sodium nitrate. It would be beneficial to be able to use ammonia extracts and other natural soluble nitrogen products to maintain quality and yield. And without them, there is a higher risk that they will have product rejections and that they will have a loss of revenue due to decreased yields and all of it's preventable. My advice is that the USDA should reject the advice of the NOSB, which is to not allow ammonia extracts and organics. They should continue to allow the use of sodium nitrate, and they should allow farmers to choose to use these products to a limited degree in their fertility programs. That would be something that would help incredibly.
1: So what do you think of regenerative agriculture? I mean, you all this talk that we just had about the soils sounds like, you know, that's what you that's what you're about. <laughs> but all the talk and kind of the buzz around regenerative, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, so uh, there is a lot of talk about regenerative agriculture and there's a lot of speculation about what exactly that means. So I'll give you my opinion. I think that regenerative agriculture is a philosophy that deals with bringing soils back to their natural productive state. But the word regenerative suggests that something is broken and needs to be fixed. And because there are an infinite number of ways that the soil can be broken, there are also an infinite number of ways or regenerative practices that can be used to fix them. Therefore, regenerative agriculture and its practices will probably always remain vague and undefined out of necessity. The concept is really good, but it's doubtful that any regenerative standards can be developed given the vague nature of what regenerative means and the vast number of practices that can be used to regenerate soils. Some of the regenerative agriculture practices for improving soils sound a lot like established organic practices. Indeed. (laughs) Yes, the use of cover crops, composting, fostering biodiversity, minimizing soil disruption. In my opinion, organic farming is regenerative, particularly if you consider the transition process from conventional land to organic. It is about bringing a soil back to a natural productive state, and that is absolutely regenerative. And so my opinion is that regenerative farming has a lot of the same attributes as some of the practices that we use in organic farming. Organic is regenerative, but regenerative agriculture is not necessarily organic.
1: One of the positives that's coming out of all of this, I think, and the buzz about it is just the focus on the soil. And everything that you just said, you know, you've been focusing on the soil for a long time. But I think it's kind of brought people that don't have jobs like yours to see how important the soil is and and taking care of the soil and organic. Does that. So that's really interesting. So there's starting to be some talk about climate smart ag as well, which is a term that USDA is using and some of the grant programs that they're doing. Do you have a sense of is that different? Is it the same? What does that mean?
2: Yeah, well, climate smart agriculture, you know, by definition is a farming approach that moves things closer towards climate resilient practices. And there's emphasis made on greenhouse gas emissions and sequestering carbon and those kinds of things. But let's look at what some of the climate smart practices are. The use of cover crops, low-till or no-till, soil nutrient management, planning for high carbon sequestration rates, the use of soil amendments, improved soil disease and insect management, matching varieties to local climates, Retaining crop residues for soil fertility. These are climate-smart practices, and interestingly enough, these are also practices that describe what we do in organic farming. They also describe some regenerative practices, and so many of the practices between organic, regenerative, and climate-smart are very similar, are very similar. So, at the end of the day, organic farming practices are regenerative, and they are climate-smart but regenerative agriculture and climate-smart agriculture are not organic. And my advice to people is to minimize the confusion just by organic, and you'll cover all three <laughs> So, um, But, I, you know, I'm in favor of the regenerative uh, ag movement. I think it's a wonderful concept. I am in favor of climate-smart agriculture. And I think that there's a lot of confusion between all of these things and exactly what they mean, and I'm, I'm glad that you're addressing it.
1: Yeah, thanks. I think it's right now, what organic does, which is fabulous, is like people know, they have some misconceptions, you know, consumers have some misconceptions, but you know, there's a seal and that, you know, and people know that you've done certain things, you know, if you buy an organic product. And I think some of these other things, it's vague and, you know, there could be some greenwashing going on. So I, I think it's really interesting just to kind of tease, tease the different pieces apart. So, kind of switching gears, do you think we'll ever produce carrots in an indoor farm? Let me, let me tell you, you should
2: never underestimate the ingenuity of a farmer. If it can be done, they'll figure it out. And so, you can't ever say never. Yeah, I think that you could grow carrots in, um, in a vertical farming environment or in greenhouses, but I'm not real sure why you would want to do that let, in lieu of other alternatives. Vertical farms, in my opinion, are best suited for very high-value crops that grow quickly and are adapted to hydroponic culture, and that doesn't really describe uh, carrots. I think uh, it's safe to say that most of the carrots in our future will just be grown the old-fashioned way, in soil, in a field.
1: What are three things people should know about organically produced vegetables?
2: Great question. The first thing that I would want people to know is that bugs aren't bad. Every now and then you're gonna find an aphid or a beneficial insect between the leaves of organic produce. And this is totally natural and normal. These harmless additions are proof positive that harsh synthetic insecticides have not been used. It's actually a good thing. And so if you see the occasional bug, wash it off, wish it well, and give it a ride down the sink drain. The second thing that I would like to say is just to reiterate, I think you should buy organic, and you'll cover all three bases, organic, regenerative, and climate smart. Organic is regenerative, and organic is climate smart. And then the third thing, and I think most importantly that I would want people to know, is that the organic label is the standard for safe, natural, and sustainably produced food, period. In order to be organic, growers must adhere to a legal uh, set of standards for crop production that are upheld and enforced by the USDA. And consumers should be cautious about trusting other labels that do not have a known standard or an enforcement mechanism. You really just don't know what you're buying. And so bugs aren't bad, buy organic, and trust in the organic label. Those are the three things that I would like for people to know.
1: Great. Those are really great. Thank you. So I wanted to transition a little bit now and talk about your work with the International Fresh Produce Association. You're chair of the Organic Committee. Tell us what that is and how that came about and kind of what you do.
2: Sure. The Organics Committee of the IFPA is in charge of guiding the association in matters to organics and to represent the interest of our membership who are involved in the organic space. And our desire is to speak with a strong and different voice than one that is currently being heard in the industry. We believe that that we can speak in a unique way on behalf of our membership. We want to adequately represent both small and large organic produce growers so that regulations and legislation reflect the diverse needs of our industry. But in short, our committee exists to support and speak for the needs of our organic produce members. The way that I became the chair is a mystery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> After this conversation, I'm sure not. <laughs>
2: no, uh, you know, our CEO, Jeff Huckby said, uh, Russ, you're going to get a call from a fellow named Robert Gunther. And, and he's going to ask you about, you know, serving on the organics committee. And I said, sure. And so Robert gave me a call and, you know, sort of explained what the committee was about and what our purpose was. And I told him, I said, look, if I'm If I can be of service, then I'm absolutely in favor of that. But you've got to give me some great help. And that led to introductions to George Suspansky and Emily Greep, both who, you know, help coordinate and make the organics committee the fine committee that it is. And they interviewed me, I think, and... Then we talked about what we wanted the focus of the committee to be and what the important issues were. And so I got invited to be the chair. You know, the one mistake that I made is I have no idea how long I'm the chair. It could be for a decade. <laughs> um, but, it could be. But it's, uh, it's been a great experience so far. You know, we're, we're just starting and so we've got a lot of work to do, but, but I'm really excited about it. My job is to work with Emily and George to determine the needs of our members to help organize productive meetings, and to provoke our membership, and to call them into service for the greater good of the
1: industry. Excellent. And so, with that, we happen to have your friend, George, here to join us. Welcome, George. Thanks, Bonnie. Glad to be here. Hey, Russ.
2: Hey, man. How are you doing?
3: Doing great. Lots of work to do.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. So, George, tell us about your role at International Fresh Produce Association.
3: Well, I'm the Director of Production, Supply Chain, and Environmental Policy, and one of the real lead issues that, that I spend my time on is, is organic issues, organics, and how that relates to regulations and legislation. I'm spending a lot of time in D.C. these days, I'm Wilmington-based, but I uh, know my way so that we can be there in person uh, influencing federal policy.
1: Excellent. And so how did you end up getting involved in organic work? Do you do representing our organic growers?
3: Well, I've been in part of the food industry. I've been part of the fresh produce industry for 15 years, plus or minus, And I've always kind of kept an eye on on organics to see what was happening. But really, this experience and and working on an organic policy for IFPA is just answering the the needs of the membership. When we took a look at how we were serving our membership, especially as IFPA was created at the beginning of this year, it was very clear that organics was a space that had room for us to be a leading voice, where there were other groups that that represented the whole span of the, the food supply chain or, or other interests with regard to organics, but not not a group that in the policy space was speaking with the voice of fresh fruits and vegetables and our specific needs. And I think that that's where it it becomes really necessary for IFPA to serve the membership in this way. We don't function like row crops and oil seeds. And I think some of the differences that we see in conventional agriculture are exacerbated even further for organics, and it really requires having a seat at the table to say, you know, when you are evaluating the materials that can be used, the impact on our diverse set of growers in different regions, seasons, and and crop types, it has a really strong impact. And it, it hits us in a different way than it hits if you're growing livestock in the middle of the country. So making sure that we can listen to our members and bring that out, it was a clear opportunity for us to rise to the occasion, really.
1: That's exciting. So the work that you've done, and just in this conversation, I've changed some of my own opinions about organic. What has surprised you about learning about organics specifically since you started this role? And are you eating more organic produce than you were at the beginning?
3: Well, you know, I'm going to answer those backwards and the eating more organic produce. It's interesting. I I think um, I started eating more organic produce before this because somehow when you have little babies all the brands are organic and you start thinking about what goes into bodies a little differently. So I'd say uh, four years and a week ago when I became a father, I probably started eating more organic produce than I have since this. And and it's, it's been a real learning experience. You know, I think those of us who haven't been, who've been in the industry, but not paying close attention to organics have only been skin deep with what it means. I, I can think of being at fresh summit years ago, talking to, a friend who worked for a really established organic grower. And I said, so the difference is that organic farmers care about the soil. (laughs) And she told me uh, with a very straight face, if you don't care about the soil, you're not a farmer at all. And it's something that always stuck with me. You know, it's that's not it's not uh, caring about the soil. It's not that simple. What I think has really surprised me is that there is some some room between what some of the originating organic principles are and what the, the law is, what or OFPA, the Organic Foods Production Act, and what the NOP does. And I, I see this um, continuing conversation in the community about finding balance between the, the differences in that philosophy and the law and what the organic program is. And it's something where we need to be uh, carefully choosing the voice in those conversations that reflects what our members need. You know, that's what it always comes back to for the association is what the members need. But, you know, when it comes to choosing what to eat and how our members grow, it's interesting to me seeing it as um, a diverse set of tools that is going to create a really varied food production system and that we need we need organic as, as part of it. Um, and there are going to be other production methods that may not fit in that box that I think are going to be important. For different parts of our, our fresh produce system. And if we're gonna feed all of America, it's gonna take, take a lot of those tools, or take all of those tools in, in diverse sets.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you both so much. And as I said, Russ, you busted one of my big myths about organics, which I'm, I'm happy to have broken on the, the yield equation. And I learned so much from this conversation and really appreciate both your time and the work that you do. So thank you. All right, thank you. Thanks.
0: The International Fresh Produce Association is bringing new technology to solve industry's big challenges through the new Fresh Field Catalyst Accelerator. The six-month immersive program works with technology companies outside of produce and floral to experience the challenges in our industry and develop innovative solutions for a healthier world. Applications are due April 4th. Find out more at freshproduce.com. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.